You are listening to Hands at Work Audio. This Hands at Work podcast features the stories of Leighton Wood. Leighton came from Sydney, Australia to volunteer in Africa with Hands from February to November in 2013. We all love you, Leighton. Thanks so much. Um, so I was in Mozambique in September and only got to spend uh, a couple of days there. Um, and during my time I got to spend, I got to go to a community called Makadera. Um, which is around sort of the middle region of Mozambique, uh, just east of uh, Zimbabwe. Um, the community itself is it's very rural and very, um, very cut off from other towns around. Um, the, yeah, the, I think the best way to describe the situation there is um, by saying the clinic is the closest clinic um, that they can get to is 50 kilometres away. Um, so for most people, that's just not possible. Um, so medical attention for um, most people, the vast majority of people in Makadera, is just impossible. Um, compounding that, uh, they don't actually have any... Pri- or they don't have any high schools in the community. The closest high school is in that, this same town, um, 50 kilometres away. So... The majority of kids, um, well, those who can afford it, will go to primary school to grade six. Um, then uh, after that, it'll be trying to find work, trying to make money if they can. Um, the situation there is, is quite devastating. Um, unfortunately, at the moment, Hands at Work isn't able to provide um, what we call three essential services, which is food, um, food health, um, and education. But there is a team of care workers there who is currently visiting children in their homes. Um, So I was there and I did some home visits with um, a lady named Maria, who's the coordinator of the work in Makadera. Um, As we walked into the first home, she told me that this family that we were visiting was well known in the community um, because they were always having funerals. Um, but the implications of this didn't really hit me until I was actually sitting down with this family, Gogo Tracy. Um, she's an elderly lady. Um, she has ten children of her own. She's had ten children of her own, so nine of her children have passed away. And she currently takes care of 18 children, um, just her, her and her daughter. And so all these children are orphans um, of the rest of her children. They, the family just has absolutely huge struggles. Um, they're unable to get um, food or any income, really. Um, Gogo Tracy and her daughter, Anna, um, work doing what they call peace jobs around the community, so it's just small little jobs for people um, trying to get some kind of income. But really, it's, it's impossible for them. Um, to, uh, Gogo Tracy was saying that if they have one, one gallon of maize, um, maize meal, which is what they... That's their staple, that's what they eat um, majority of. If they have one gallon of that, it'll last the family two meals. Um, but the chances of them getting that much maize is just so, so slim. Um, Gogo Tracy will often go without food so that she can uh, give food to, to the children. Um, so, and it was as I was sitting down listening to this that I realised it, it really did hit me what Maria was saying when we walked in. The reason this family is having so many funerals is because they're literally just dying. They're, they don't have enough food. 
and they'd have no access to healthcare. Um, so in the story of a couple of the children, there was one young boy, uh, Manuel. Uh, he's about seven or eight years old, and he, um, he's the one in the bottom left-hand corner. Um, he, for, for some reason, he, had to, he was out one day and had to uh, get back home, but the only way he could get back was by getting a lift with someone on a bicycle, um, and, but this guy was very drunk and crashed while he was on. So, and it, he, it crushed his ankle, um, and he hasn't been able to get any medical assistance for it. So the crash was quite a while ago, it seemed like, um, and the wound has just been healing on its own, but it's, it was very infected and very, very swollen and still very sore. Um, but the reality is he can't get any medical assistance. It's too out of reach. Another one of the uh, girls, uh, Isabel, uh, she's starting to develop boils underneath her arms, but again, they can't get to any medical facilities, so she's just um, she's living in increasing pain. Um, so the, there's 20 of them all up, and they live in three mud huts between them, small little round huts. They have, yeah, they're absolutely crammed in for room because there's so many of them. But one of the astounding things is between them they have about three, three grass mats um, for the 20 of them. And the story of this family is just unimaginable. Um, a common saying in Hands at Work is that we try to find the poorest of the poor across Africa. But it can be hard to really understand what that means. And it's easy to be sceptical of this um, when you hear it, especially with the sensationalism that we hear in the media these days. But Gogo Tracy and her family, they are the poorest of the poor. The story isn't sensationalised. This is the reality that they face every day. Um, so actually just during the week I was, um, I was reading an article out of uh, the Times magazine by a guy named Joel Stein. Joel calls himself a three presenter, and that is that he earns more than 97% of people in the US, so he's in the top 3% of... Um, income earners and he says in his article income inequality is so unfair I want everyone to know I feel bad not bad enough to give my money away but whatever the level of bad is that's right below actually doing something about it um, for me that article it just struck me comparing something like that with the story of Gogo Tracy it just doesn't seem to make sense um, we are in the top percentage of wealthy people in the world as well. And I guess a lot of us, it's, for a lot of us, it's easy to have a similar attitude. Very easy to slip into that. We feel bad about the stories of poverty and war and suffering we hear, but we aren't willing to make significant sacrifices in order to do something about it. Instead, we just justify our activity by looking at the one percenters, the people who earn more than us. Uh, it's just an easy way out to ignore the problem. So I think that's definitely one thing that I have struggled with being back. It, it's so easy to forget about these things, um, um, for people to forget about the stories that they hear. But I suppose that's the challenge to us. Um, hmm. So, yeah, in going to Africa, the contrast between poverty and wealth just becomes so apparent. Um, 
In the same way, the contrast between hardship and happiness also is so obvious. Um, and there's, I've got two stories to, <laughs> to sort of uh, to demonstrate that. Uh, the first story is a, of a little boy named Nombet. Um, he's, unfortunately, I don't have any pictures of him, um, but he's, he lives in South Africa um, in a community called Mandesivle. Um He lives with his mother and his stepfather. Um, he's the youngest of five siblings. Um, his two oldest siblings um, have uh, three children uh, between them, so he has um, three nieces and nephews who also live in the same house as them. Um, he's ten years old. Um, his parents are quite often abusive towards each other, um, and oftentimes that will flow down onto the children. Um, uh, I was sitting down with one of the coordinators um, from Hands at Work, um, hearing his story, um, and she was telling me that uh, of a time where he, he had told her that uh, his father had used, or his stepfather had used an electrical wire um, to beat him previously. Um, often when, when the family's cooking, well, well oftentimes the, both the mother and father are drunk, um, and it's frequent for the children to, um, when the mum's cooking, to have burn marks on their arms because, because of the splashing of the, uh, of the hot food on their arms. So you can see there's little scars uh, on their arms. Um, so, yeah, when I was sitting there meeting Nomvet, um, Fortunate, who is the coordinator um, in that area, she, she told me that Nomvet is a, is a really good singer. So I asked if he could sing, sing me a song, and she translated and asked him. Um, but he said, um, he said that he couldn't. Uh, his mum has taken his songs away from him, um, which I think is just so telling um, of, yeah, of his reality. Um, the next, I, I left that day and then came back a few days later and saw Nomvet again. Um, but this time I also met his, uh, and his two nephews who also go to the care point um, there. And their names are Kakleko and Mpile, which I don't expect you to remember. Um, and so Kakleko is about four, four years old, and Mpile is about two. Um, the first thing you notice about Mpile is um, just how just he's, he has a smell around him. Um, he's obviously not bathed or cleaned at all, um, and so he, he just stinks of urine. Um, um, but he's also, being around him, he's, he just craves attention, um, and he really just clings on to you. Um, Kagleko, on the other hand, is quite the opposite. Um, I tried sitting down with him when he was eating his meal, but he just made deliberate moves away from me. Whenever I tried to make any contact with him, he'd just withdraw and flinch. Um, he, started, um, he started to warm to me a little bit, um, but he's just a very sullen and serious boy. Um, I never once did I see him smile. Um, so I got the opportunity to walk um, these boys home. Um, that afternoon, um, Nomvet, Kagleko, and Mpile. So I had Mpile around my, around my neck 
um, and the other boys uh, hanging on to my hands. Um, but as we reached uh, their home, we got a little bit closer. Um, we were probably about 200 metres away, and Nonvet pointed out where their house was to me. Um, and Kagleko, just, just all of a sudden he stopped, and he just sat on the ground um, where we were standing. And I was a little bit confused, um, so I tried, um, tried talking to him and trying to get him, get him up and keep walking. Um, but he just sat there, um, didn't respond to anything I was doing. Um, so I ended up, I just sat down in the dirt next to him. Um, and so they were, they were just in the middle of the path. Um, there was the four of us, the one, one white guy and three small African boys. Um, and, yeah, just sitting there and seeing Kagleko just sit there, serious, it just absolutely breaks your heart. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, um, I was sitting there for probably about half an hour, um, just just sitting with them, and it got to the point where I realised that people would probably start to worry if I wasn't back um, back soon. So I, I just had to get up and leave them there. Um, it, it was amazing to me, reflecting on it, and I think Dad made the comment, it's amazing the different ways that people deal with trauma. Um, you see in Pile, um, who really, um, because he's starved for affection, he, he looks for it in others. Um, and then you see Kakleko, who just is completely withdrawn. Um, yeah, and it's just the extreme brokenness in him. It's devastating. Um, so that's the extreme hardship, but there's also the extreme happiness um, that you see across in Africa. So the next story is uh, of a little girl named Tamakosi from Swaziland. Um, She's eight years old, um, lives in a rural community um, in in Swaziland in the mountains called Kapunga. Um, She... Well, she, was a, she was left by her parents. Um, they left her with her grandmother um, because they were unable to care for her. Um, and so now it's just her grandmother and other people who are left to care for her. Um, she lives with, in the area that she's living. There's kind of a, a number of different huts around and so there's a number of relatives living there with her. Um, uh, Tamakosi is um, intellectually and physically disabled. Um, she can't um, she can't speak with words, but she uses noises and grunts to express herself. Um, she's also uh, unable to walk. She's got what I think must be a muscular problem in her legs, um, which means that she's she doesn't have the strength to walk. That she she gets around by rolling. Um, and so. Uh, she was first identified by Hands at Work um, a couple of years ago and when they saw her situation and they realised something needed to be done. Baba Vusi, he's an incredible guy and he's one of the guys from Hands who supports the work in Swaziland. And he developed a real connection with Tamakosi. Um, he calls her uh, his daughter. Um, and so a couple of years ago when he first met her, um, he, he told... He told the grandmother 
uh, one day I believe your granddaughter will walk again, um, which was really quite an outrageous thing to say. And so he took this story back to the hub in South Africa and people, uh, people there were able to... Um, people from Hands at Work actually raised money um, from their own pockets to, um, to give Tamakosi physical therapy. So she, she's had two, um, two times she's gone to physical therapy to help her to walk. Um, I first met her in, uh, must have been around May, and her uncle had just built her these parallel bars um, to help her to practice her walking. Um, so now she uses those um, bars to, to practice and to get strength in her legs. One of the things that stands out um, when you see Tamakosi, when you get to meet her, is just her incredible joy. It's, it's unbelievable and it's just infectious. Uh, when I first met Tamakosi in May, she was just able to walk up and down. Um, you can see the parallel bars in the background there. She was able to go forward and backwards once and then she was just absolutely exhausted. Um, but when I was there um, in October, um, I, I got to see her a number of times through the years, through the, through the year. Um, but the improvements that she's made is just unbelievable. It really is. Um, <clears throat> her legs are much stronger now. She's able to walk back and forth along those bars, and you can see her as she tries to lift her leg up. Um, and she's walking there. That's something that she was never able to do before. She didn't have the strength to actually lift up her leg from the knee. Um, so, yeah, Tamakosi's story is really just one of hope. Um, hope because of the physical improvements she's making, um, but also just because of the infectious joy that she has. Um, some might say that um, she has this joy because she is simple, but after meeting her, I truly believe that um, her joy comes from something much deeper than that. Um, and what a challenge it is to all of us who are all physically and mentally capable and are so well off here um, when we see the joy of this little girl who has nothing. Um, yeah, and she is, luckily for Tamakosi, she is in, um, in an environment where her grandmother does take care of her and show her love, and she has a care worker who visits her <coughs> um, and, again, shows her, shows her love and kindness. Um, so, yeah, Tamakosi is just an amazing little girl. <clears throat> and you see, um, in Africa, you, you get the extremes. You get the extreme happiness and extreme joy that I don't think I've ever experienced here. Um, but you also get the extreme hardships in stories of Nombat and Gogo Tracy. Um, <clears throat> so... There's just two passages I wanted to share with you um, that ca really came alive for me around May in my time. Um, the first one's out of Isaiah 53, um, verses 3 to 7. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our sufferings. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. Um, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned, from, turned to, he, to our own way. 
And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, and yet he did not open his mouth. Um, he was led like lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearer fell silent, is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Um, so when I read, read this passage, God's incredible love and sacrifice for me suddenly hit home. Um, I have, of course, heard so much about Jesus' suffering and sacrifice before, but um, after reading that passage, um, it's, I really started to understand the cross in a way I hadn't before. Um, and I think understanding that deep love that Jesus has for us is in a lot of ways overwhelming. Um, we can't comprehend it. Um, at the start of the passage, just before the section I read in chapter 52, verse 14, it says that Jesus was disfigured um, beyond that of any man. The Hebrew word translated as disfigured is the same word um, used in a passage in Malachi to describe a blemished animal which should not be offered to the Lord, an animal unworthy for sacrifice. And that's the story of what we have here. The perfect Jesus became disfigured, unworthy um, for me, for us. Um, We were so hopeless that Jesus had to die for us. But the other side of that is that Jesus loved us, loves us so much that he was glad to die for us, even when we were still sinners. And that's, that's one of the reasons why I love that. I chose the, um, How Deep the Father's Love um, just before the service. It's one of my favourite songs. And how deep must God's love for, be, love for us be that he endured the cross for us. Um, the, se- the second passage kind of follows on from this thought, um, and it's from Ephesians uh, chapter 3, 17 to 19. Um, And it's Paul speaking to the Ephesians. Um, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all fullness of God. Um, And I think Paul's prayer uh, started to become true for me. Um, I, I started just to, just to grasp um, the enormity of God's love. Um, and I think it's a powerful prayer for all of us. Um, uh, we can always understand, grasp God's love more. We, we can never fully understand it. It's beyond our comprehension. Um, but what a difference it can make when we start to, to grasp the depth and infinity of his love. Uh, We have a temptation to believe that God only loves us on the days when we are doing well, the days that we have our act together. But this is completely wrong. The reality is that we cannot earn our salvation by doing better or trying harder. We are made acceptable to God only through Jesus. Now when God looks at us, it is as though we have never sinned. Um, It's just an amazing thought to have, I think. Um, And I think acceptance by God took, took on a special meaning for me after meeting a care worker in Zimbabwe named Costina. Um, so this was um, again in September when I was in Zimbabwe. Um, <clears throat> I, was, I was privileged enough to be a part of uh, a workshop that Hands at Work was running in a community named Pimai. Um, it was a five-day workshop running from the Monday to Friday of a week. Um, and it was focused on expressing how we have been rescued and adopted by, by Jesus and adopted into God's family um, and expressing that to the care workers. 
Um, uh, so on the Thursday, I had the privilege of staying with Costina in her in her own home. Um, so Costina is a care worker in Pimai. She has three of her own children. Um, she's the first husband, sorry, the first wife to a husband, who later took a second wife after not being satisfied with Costina. Um, the husband now spends the majority of his time away working, while Costina lives right next to her husband's second wife. Um, she has been wounded by, by this and has, is suffering from very low self-esteem. Um, and she just felt completely rejected and unloved. Um, so, so this is the situation I was kind of going into. Um, I was really hoping to be able to connect with Costina and somehow be a source of encouragement to her. Um, but I found I was constantly frustrated during my stay because it was only for one night. Um, I had very limited time. Um, it turned out that the word had spread around the community that a white guy was going to be staying. Well, there was a, another few white guys. Um, so for most of the night, we had neighbours um, popping in continually, um, saying hi and wanting to chat to this, this white man in the community. Um, yeah, one neighbour in particular, he must have stayed for at least two and a half hours um, talking to me until uh, probably around 11.30 at night. Um, and I was there just frustrated because I just wanted to be able to spend time with Costina and her, her children. Um, so the next morning, on the, on the last day of the workshop, all the care workers were given the chance to share anything that God had been doing in their life throughout the week. Um, and during this time, Costina stood up in front of everyone there and said that she um, had never felt like anyone had cared for her before, like anyone had loved her. She felt completely rejected um, and unloved. Um, but she went on to say after this that having, having this um, week doing the workshop um, and having, having a white man stay at her house last night, she realised that how much God loved her. She started to grasp the depth of God's love for her. She actually told me uh, later on, I've been, a lot of, been through a lot of pain and suffering in my life, but now it feels like none of that matters. Um, yeah, Costina is just an amazing lady. Um, uh, and it, I think it just demonstrates so powerfully the power of understanding our salvation and the depth of God's love for us. Um, it really is a powerful thing. Um, yeah, and as, as well as this, I think it was a testimony of how God works in situations. Although I thought I, I was just completely disappointed by my time with Costina, I thought, oh, I, haven't, I haven't done anything here. But thanks to God's grace um, and through none of my ability, he still used that situation to encourage her. It's amazing how he can work despite us. Um, and so there's just one last thing that I wanted to share, which was um, something that um, uh, came that I that I was reflecting a lot on um, during the last um, the last month or so of my time in Africa. Um, it was my it was my turn to share at men's prayer um, at the Hands Village, so I spent a lot of time reflecting and racking my brain trying to figure out what I could possibly share. Um, and as I spent time doing this, I started to see a theme of um, surrendering everything we have to God coming through in everything I was reading, 
everything I was uh, hearing, whether it was songs or sermons. Um, and the more I reflected on it, the more I started to realize how much I, would, I, I do withhold from God and how much I try to maintain control over it in my own life. Um, I felt really challenged by the idea of this, but I didn't know what to do about it. The idea of completely surrendering, surrendering to God feels like a scary and really impossible prospect. Um, and in fact, it is, it's an impossible thing for us to do in our natural selves. Um, but as I, as I was um, reading and hearing different things, um, the message that kind of came out for me is it's only through God's power and through the enabling of his Holy Spirit that um, lets us surrender everything to God, surrender our own desires to his. Um, we, we can't do it on our own. We're innately selfish, um, and as much as we might try otherwise, but through God's grace, he, he can enable us. Um, and so, yeah, I was challenged, and I thought, how could I possibly get to this point? Um, and I was... Uh, I remembered a passage from Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis that I'd read um, quite a while ago um, that I thought it was just so appropriate. So it's a bit of a longer passage, so you'll have to bear with me, but um, here it is. Christ says, Give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money or so much of your work. I want you. I have not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. No half measures are any good. I don't want to cut off a branch here and a branch there. I want to have the whole tree down. I don't want to drill the tooth or to crown it or to stop it, but to have it out completely. Hand over the whole natural self, all the desires which you think innocent as as well as the ones you think wicked, the whole outfit. I will give you a new self instead. In fact, I will give, give you myself, my own will, will become your will. Um, the terrible thing, the almost impossible thing, is to hand over your whole self, all your wishes and precautions to Christ. But it is far easier than what we are trying to do instead. For what we are trying to do is remain what we call ourselves, to keep personal happiness as our great aim in life, and yet at the same time be good. We are all trying to let our mind and hearts go their own way, centred on money or pleasure or ambition, and hoping in spite of this to behave honestly and humbly. This is exactly what Christ warned us you could not do. As he said, a thistle cannot produce figs. If I am a field that contains nothing but grass seed, I cannot produce wheat. Cutting the grass may keep it short, but I shall still produce grass and no wheat. If I want to produce wheat, the change must go deeper than the surface. I must be ploughed up and re-sown. I think it's just an incredibly challenging passage, uh, or passage, isn't it, that uh, Lewis has written. Um, it is the impossible task that we're called to do. Um, but God, God promises us uh, that he will um, carry it out to completion. We, we won't get there in this life, but he promises that we will. Um, so after I shared this at men's prayer, George Snayman, the founder of Hands at Work, who most of you will know, um, shared this. Uh, he said, The act of dying to ourselves daily is not something, something mysterious. In fact, it is incredibly practical. It's about making conscious decisions every day to choose God's will over our own. 
For example, you realise that you have a problem with a brother and instead of ignoring it, you deliberately go and fix things with that person, even when it might be tough. It's in everyday decisions that we choose God's will over our own that we die to ourselves. Um, so I suppose that's, that's the challenge I wanted to leave you with a bit of. It's something that I'm still definitely working through, um, but it's I think, definitely something that we all should pursue. Um, and so um, the last thing is that um, it, it is difficult to communicate this idea so I wanted to share just out of Galatians 2, 19 to 20 um, just to finish off in conclusion for through the law I died to the law so that I might live for Christ I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live but Christ lives in me the life that I live now in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Um, I think that's just a beautiful summary of, um, of my time and where I'm at now. Um, yeah, it's only when we die to ourselves that we can live for God. And I'm by no means there, in fact. Probably not even close. Um, but I definitely deeply desire that. Thank you for joining us. Double, double, double dot hands at work.org